Matthew 27, 35. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there and set over his head his, his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Father, I pray that you'd bless us as we try our best to follow the wooing and the working of the Holy Spirit in my life and heart. Lord, I realize that in me there dwelleth no good thing. So, Father, if anything is going to be done to glorify you, you're going to have to do it. And we're going to ask you to do it for Jesus' honor and glory. And I pray, Father, in Christ's name, that you would speak to our hearts. My Lord, I can't look at anybody's heart. I don't know the condition of anybody's heart here but mine. And I'm really not sure about mine because you said the heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Well, Lord, there's somebody needs this message that you put upon my heart. Lord, it may be somebody sitting in the back of the church or maybe somebody sitting on the front pew. Lord, it may be the preacher standing in the pulpit. But I pray whoever this message is sent for or whomever it's sent for, the dear God in heaven, it would bring glory and honor to you and we'd see something done for your, for your name's glory and honor. Now, Lord, I realize I can't do this myself. And Lord, if you don't show up and help me in just a few minutes, this is going to be a real short service. Lord, I'm leaning completely and totally upon you. And I ask you, Father, to touch our hearts together, open our eyes of understanding, and our hearts that we might see what you're telling us from the Word of God. And we'll thank you and praise you and bless you for all that you do. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. As church-going people, I don't believe we need too much uh, directions about what's taking place here in the book of Matthew chapter number 27. This is the time of the crucifixion of our blessed Lord and Savior. This is one of the most eventful times, or probably the most eventful time in all human history. For in this time, Jesus himself pays the price for our sin on the cross of Calvary, and we have the privilege of salvation. But at the same time, it is one of the darkest times in human history because the creature is mistreating the Creator God. And the creature is putting, and the creature's sin is being put on the Creator God's uh, uh, shoulders as he is on the cross of Calvary. As I read this passage of Scripture, there's a, a phrase that, as I look here in this verse, there's a phrase that sticks out in my mind, in my eyes. In verse number 27, I mean verse number 36 rather, chapter 27, if you look, the Bible says, and sitting down, they watched him there. If you look on down in the same chapter, in uh, verse number 54, and when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake. And those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, True, this is the Son of God. Watching Him. As I look and have that thought upon my heart, upon my mind, as they watch Jesus, there are some things that we ought to observe as we're sitting here in our mind through what uh, knowledge we have coming from the Word of God of those events that took place in the crucifixion of our blessed Lord and Savior. We know good and well that He has carried the cross 
he's uh, started with the cross and they got Simon and Serena to carry, to carry the cross all the way to Golgotha. And incidentally, the word Golgotha is uh, found more in the scripture than the word Calvary. We know Calvary more, but really Calvary is only mentioned one time in the Bible. But on Golgotha's hill, which is called a place of the skull. And if you look at it, it looks like a skull without flesh, just the skull of human skull. And it's on that place that the Lord Jesus was crucified. And if we're sitting there, we already know some events that have already taken place. Some things that's already happened before we get to Golgotha. First of all, I want you to see, the first thing I want to show you is an unjust sentence. If we're there looking at Golgotha and watching Jesus on the cross of Calvary, there are some questions that come in our mind that ought to fill our hearts and our minds with admiration at the same time disappointment. Because Jesus Christ is the only person that I've ever known or heard of that has been tried at three different occasions. And all three occasions been found innocent, yet was condemned to death. Pilate had him and checked him out. He said, I find no fault in this just man. He gets through trying him and he finds out that Herod is in the vicinity. And he sends him to King Herod. Herod looks at him all excited about maybe he's coming. He's going to see Jesus do one of his tricks, you know. One of these tricks he does, he supposedly heals people. No, no, no. We know good and well that he really healed people. But that was the idea of him. He wanted him to see some miracle that he, that he was going to do. And then when he finds out he's not going to do any miracles, he checks him out, sends him back to Pilate and says, I find no fault in this man. Yet then we come there, Pilate looks at him again, checks him out. And on the second time, Pilate himself says, I find no fault with this just man and brings him before the Jews and tells him there's nothing worthy of death in him. And, and somewhere along in this time that's taken place, his wife, I believe it comes to him and says, have nothing to do with this just man. And I believe right now in the very portals of hell, wherever he's at, he's still washing his hands, trying to clean his hands from the blood of the just man, Jesus Christ. Because he knew for envy, the Bible says, that the Jews had delivered him to be crucified. What our preacher preached this morning was exactly right. I don't believe every one of them were ignorant who he was. I believe a lot of them just would not accept him. Because there are a lot of people in our day in which we live right now that know who Jesus is. They've heard about him all their life. Yet they reject him because of who he is and what he says he is and what he's going to do in their life. As we looked at him, the first things we had noticed is an unjust sentence. Now, I tell you what, I don't know about you, but if it had been me, it would have been just. If it had been me on Golgotha's Hill, it would have been just. I've done things, and uh, you probably have too, that if they were flashed upon the uh, this screen behind us, we'd tie the hinges off the door getting out of here. We'd be so embarrassed. Amen. But our blessed Lord had done nothing the Bible says not even guile was found in his mouth. Guile means he never said anything wrong. You ever said anything wrong? Oh, Lord, I wish I could go back and grab some things and reverse them and put them back in my mouth or whatever or take a big eternal eraser and erase them off of the history of my life because of the things that I've said and the places I've went and the things I've done. And no doubt you do also. But here is Jesus sitting there, uh, hung on the cross, and they're sitting there watching him. Well, who's watching him? Well, I believe that the centurions are watching him, and we'll find that to be true later on, later on this passage. But I also believe the Jews are watching him. 
those that had screamed just a few days before, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Or that a few days before that it even had said, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And then they crucify him. They're crying, crucify him. Let his blood be upon us and upon our children. And it has been, y'all. It has been. I'm sorry to say we ought to support the Jewish nation of Israel. We should support them. But they paid a price for crucifying Jesus. <clears throat> but when you stop and think, really that's not who crucified Jesus. I'm preaching one time in my church in, in Haiti. And I told him, I announced on Sunday morning, I said, next Sunday morning, I'll have a picture and I'll show you who crucified Jesus. I'll show you a picture of the person who crucified Jesus Christ. My church is full next Sunday morning. Man, everybody wants to see that picture. I had it right up here underneath the pulpit and I preached. Every once in a while, I'd pick it out and look at it. I said, yep, that's him, and put it back. And everybody's trying their best to sneak around and get a little picture of who that was that crucified Jesus. And finally, I got one of my, my preacher boy up here, and I said, Frank, who's the pastor of that church now, I said, you come up here, and I said, you look and see if this is not the picture of the person that crucified Jesus. And I showed it to him, and he looked at it and was kind of shocked, and he said, uh, oh, may we, pastor, may we? He said, oh, yeah, that's right, that's right, pastor, that's right. He goes and sits down. I preach a little bit while longer. I've got the picture up against me up against my chest where nobody can see it. Seeing it, and I'll walk up and down the, the aisles and they're trying their best to look at it and see who this is. They crucified Jesus. Uh, he was, had a, he was uh, unjustly crucified. And I walked up and down the aisles and they were looking, trying their best to see it. I come back up and I got my deacon. I said, come here, Pappy. Look at this and tell me, is this not the person who crucified Jesus? And a big old long, tall Pappy looked at it and he said, Oh, may we, Pastor, may we? He said, that's him, that's him, that's who did it. Finally, I showed him that it was a mirror. We're the ones that crucified Jesus. It may have been a Roman's shoulders that drove the nails, but it was my sins that put him there. It was my sins and your sins that put him on the cross. So the first thing we'd see is an unjust sentence passed upon somebody that not even said one single word wrong. Secondly, it's another thing I'd like for you to look at if you if you can stand to look at it. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse number 1, Wherefore, seeing we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which death so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finish of our faith. Listen, who for the joy that was said before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Most of the pictures that you see depicting the crucifixion of our blessed Lord are instigated to have their foundation in Leonardo da Vinci's work. Most of them are pulled from that. And if you look at that, you see a, a quite effeminate man with nails in his hands and nail, a nail in his feet. He's got two little spots on his knees where he supposedly fell under the load of the cross, which is very Catholic, not biblical. Uh, and, and he's got a, a little bit of, of blood maybe dribbling from his side where he was supposedly pierced, and maybe just a few drops of blood running down his forehead from the crown of thorns that they placed on him and a loincloth across his nakedness. Now let me tell you, Leonardo, I thank you for the loincloth, but our Savior was not crucified like that. You see, the second thing is not only do you see a, an unjust sentence, but you see an undressed sacrifice. 
Our blessed Lord was hung on the cross in open shame. In open shame. He was there naked before all mankind. It, it wouldn't have been so bad if it had been one of us. It wouldn't have been that terrible, but it was not us. It was not the creature. It was the creator God that was on the cross of Calvary and buying himself before all humanity. Let me tell you something. It was an undressed sacrifice. You say, how do you know that it was the creator God? You go to John chapter number 1 and verse number 3, and you'll find out that nothing was made that he didn't make. You know who stepped out on nothing and said, let there be? It was our blessed Lord. And the Spirit of God made it happen. As we look at that thing, you see, he despised the shame. The open shame that he was hung in open shame before all humanity. The creator before the creature being treated in such a way. I, I tell you what, I'll be honest with you, I can't fathom the shame I can't fathom what it must have been like for him, God, in the flesh. You see, he wasn't like me and you. No, 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 no. This is somebody had done no wrong. Remember, there was not even a bad word, not guile. He never said anything off color. He had never made a statement that wasn't true. When he called those Pharisees snakes, that's why the generation of vipers, he would say exactly what he should have said. And we look at that, and now he is, here he is hanging and open shame. We see an undressed sacrifice, despising the shame. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. What was that joy that was set before him? That one of these days, God is going to present to Jesus Christ a chaste virgin bride, you and I, that have been saved by the grace of God. That's the joy that's set before him. We'll be there on that great day. I don't know. I, I hope I get to hear it with my physical ears, to hear the trump of God and the shout from heaven, and we get out of here. I don't know. But I want you to know it was a shame, a shame that our blessed Lord was treated like that. It had been shame for anybody, but this is not just anybody. This is the only begotten, the only begotten Son of God. That word only begotten means that he is unique and there's none like him and never will be another one like him. The only begotten. That's one of the one of the only other people I know that has been used that word begotten. Only begotten is uh, placed upon his, I believe, is Isaac also in the scripture. So we see an undressed sacrifice in Hebrews chapter twelve, verse one and two. Then number three, I'm going to show you. Not only do you see an unjust sentence, an undressed sacrifice, but I want to see an unbelievable scourging. The Bible talks about it in the book of Matthew chapter 27 in verse number 31 how they crucified or before they crucified scourged our blessed Lord. The cat of nine tails who's famous through the Roman Empire a way of, a way of uh, passing sentence and punishment upon somebody was the cat of nine tails. Had a handle about that long, a wooden handle. And out of that handle somehow was woven nine strips of woven leather. And inside that leather um, pieces were pieces of pottery or pieces of glass or pieces of sharpened stone, pieces of metal. That when the, when the, the fellow that did the whipping, when he carried out that sentence, and was, he was, they were known to be so good at it to the point that they would wrap that around a man and jerk it back and it cut him all the way to the inside of his his intestines would even protrude. 
they be thy Lord Jesus to the point the Bible says, I believe it's in the book of Isaiah where it says that he was marred uh, more than any man. If you looked at him, you would not have even recognized him. Now, I have never had a beard. I have tried about two or three times to grow a beard. It is the ugliest thing I've ever seen. I had one about a month, almost a month old, and I shaved that thing off last night. That thing was pitiful. So even, I don't know what it'd be like for somebody to pull my beard out, but they pull the Lord's beard out. I remember when I was uh, working with my dad, we first went to construction work. My dad come in one day and he said, uh, he said, uh, uh, you, I want you to go to work with me tomorrow. You're going to work with me tomorrow. And I said, Dad, I got a job. And he said, I'll give you a dollar an hour raise. I said, you just hired me. Amen. So I went to work with my dad on the carpenter's job. We went to work. One of the things that we did one time was we were working and we were putting in installing windows, metal aluminum windows in a concrete building. And it was hot in the summertime. And there was two crews of us. My dad and I worked with one crew. And then there were two uh, carpenters and a helper from uh, Alabama that would drive up and spend the week there. And they would work. They worked as another crew. Well, the boy was, was working with as a helper was about the same age as I was at that time, about 18. And he got, it's so hot one day, he got, one of the things you had to do was you had to drill in that concrete, put an anchor in there, and put screws in that anchor. And it was so hot one day, and he got up there and he got his drill, and he was using the fan on the drill like this. And he let the bit get in his hair. It snatched the bald spot in his head about that big around. And that 18-year-old boy that you'd about cut his leg off and him not say anything, just bawl. He cried. He said, I'm never hurt like this. But they pulled our Savior's beard out. They scourged into the cat of nine tails to the point the swelling and the protrusion of his intestines could very well be in. You wouldn't even recognize him as a human being. Now, this wouldn't have been so bad had it been one of the thieves on the cross. This would have been so bad had it been one of us. But that's not who we're talking about. We're talking about God in the flesh. The condescension that God took on a form, a body, just like you and I. And the first time that God had ever got hungry, amen, was when he condescended to be a man. The first time God ever got tired was when he condescended to be a man. The first time he ever got dirty, amen was when he condescended as a man. And the first time he ever suffered like that was when he condescended as a man. The scourging that I'm talking about, I can't draw a picture. I don't know if you've seen the, the one that, uh, what's his name, put on the television or on movies. I don't know if you've ever seen it. But it can't depict what it was like. It, we can't imagine this. And this is not so bad. Had it been one of us, had it been me, it wouldn't have been so bad. But this was not who we're talking about. This was Jesus Christ. We see an unbelievable scourging as he's, what are you getting at, preacher? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to show you a little bit about Calvary, about Golgotha. Pay attention here. Unbelievable scourging. And it was unbearable suffering. The scourging was bad enough. The shame was bad enough. The sentencing was bad enough. 
This is past that. This is suffering. One of the most hideous ways to die known to man is crucifixion. We have sanitized the capital punishment in our country. There was a time they throwed a rope around your neck and hung you from a tree. That's pretty rough. There was a time when they'd stand you before a firing squad and shoot you, and that still is viable in some of the states in the United States. But we sanitized it to the point we tried to get it as best we could, and then we got the electric chair or the gas chamber. And now we've got to the point where they do the lethal injection. You're put to sleep and then die. But that's not what happened to Jesus. He was put on a Roman cross. The thing about the cross is you didn't die immediately. There was no take a breath of the gas that comes up, that poisonous gas, and it killed you just instantly. There was no flip a switch and the electricity would run through your body, stop your heart, and kill you instantly. There was no put an injection in, your, in the IV in your arm and it would slowly put you to sleep and then death and it would be instantaneous. No, no. The thing about the cross was sometimes it would take as high as three or four days to die on the cross of Calvary. Can you understand what I'm talking about? I'm talking about suffering that you and I cannot even imagine. Every breath you have to pull up, pull against those nails, push against that nail in the feet. Every one of them. Every breath. Every breath. And the Bible talks about when when they found out that he was dead, they were surprised at how quick he died. You see, how quick Jesus died was dependent upon Jesus because the Bible says that Jesus said, I have the power to take my, uh, lay down my life and I have the power to take it up. No man takes my life from me, is what he said. Yeah. And we found that to be true. But here he is on the cross. Listen to me. Listen to me. Unbelievable suffering. You and I can't imagine what it's like. I saw my dad. My dad was five foot seven, but my dad was man from the top of his head to the tip of his toes. And I seen my dad dying with cancer, sit on the side of the bed and weep because the pain was so great. But it was nothing than imagining what Jesus had went through and the situation he was in. I want you to know this about, the, about Calvary. I want you to know something about Golgotha's hill. I want you to know that it was an unbearable, unbelievable suffering. Here's something else. I want you to understand something else took place. There was an unreal sympathy that took place on the cross. Here Jesus is hung between two thieves. Both of them are railing on him. That means belittling, cursing him, putting him down. And Jesus is between these two. And that's what they're doing. The people are going by in front of Jesus, making fun, mocking. It's not enough for him to die. No, no. Mankind has got to come by and remind him the things he said. You said you were the Son of God. If you are, come down. Mocking him. But on the cross of Calvary, there was some unreal sympathy displayed. Because as he's crucified, hanging on the cross of Calvary, suffering the suffering that I've just been talking to you about, something took place here. And that was he looked at those that were gambling for his clothes and those that had crucified him, and he makes a statement, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That sympathy that I cannot understand, 
I cannot, I'm sorry, I'm a human being. I can only go so far. And I can't understand that, how he would be asking. Now, we know it's true because the Word of God says it's true. But in my mind, there is no way that I could possibly have done that. Well, I'm not a human, I'm just a human being. I'm not a, the God man. But Jesus looks down at those that are crucifying him. One of them finally sees something. And I believe that's the very thought that he's seen that made a difference in him. And he speaks to the other one that's railing on Jesus and said, wait a minute. This is Freeze revised version here too. Uh, paraphrase, I guess, worse than that. He said, wait a minute. You and I, we deserve this. But this man has done nothing amiss. This man is innocent. This man has done nothing wrong. This man has done nothing wrong. And as they see that, he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Sympathy is displayed again where Jesus said to him today, shalt thou be with me in paradise. Unbelievable sympathy. A heart for people to the point the man's saved right on the cross of Calvary. He prays for those that are mistreating him, have beat him and whipped him and have, and have nailed him to the cross. I, I, I can't imagine that. It, maybe if you can, you help me after service to get a hold of that. I can't understand that. Now, I know, why, I know who did it and how it's done, but I don't know why. Here's another one. All this brought about one thing. Listen. Pay attention. Lucas, wake up here. Here's what it brought about. It brought about an unimaginable salvation. This event that took place on the cross of Calvary, on this place, the place of the skull, Golgotha, brought about an unimaginable salvation because it reaches to the end of the earth it reaches to every man, woman, boy, or girl. It don't matter if you're a church kid or if you're an old man. It don't matter if you're in the, in the deepest jungles in, in uh, the Amazon region or you're living in Manhattan, uh, New York. The same unimaginable salvation has come and been placed in our disposal for whosoever will let him come. Let me tell you something. This salvation is so wonderful that it's forever, eternal, never-ending salvation. Let me tell you, when I trusted Christ as my Savior, I did not get probation. I got salvation. It's not until I make a mistake because I'm going to make one. I, I, my problem is not if I'm going to, it's how many of I'm going to. Amen? But this was an unimaginable. I remember preaching. I remember preaching in the Haiti and the backwoods of nowhere. In fact, I was preaching for another missionary in a revival meeting. And uh, if he hadn't got us out of there, I would still be down there trying to find a way out, I guess, because I sure didn't know where we were at. And I got through with the service, and a man kept coming around watching from the sideline. He said, I finally spoke to him, and I said, can I help you? And he said, Pastor, you preached that Jesus would save anybody. And I said, yes, sir, I'm guilty. I preached that because he will. He said, well, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. Let me tell you, I don't know what he's done. And some of the things that he's probably done, you and I would take great disdain for, upon it. But I say, it doesn't matter what you've done. 
And he who, that, who can save you and cleanse you and wash you is the very, he already knows. You're not going to sneak up on him with anything. He already knows. To the point the Bible says that he knows our thoughts are far off, even before we think them. A salvation. Now let me ask you this, and I'll be through. Had you suffered and was mistreated, looked upon and open shame, beaten, discredited, lied about, what would have been your reaction to somebody like that? We look at the cross of Calvary as one of the greatest shames that's ever, the greatest shame that's ever taken place in humanity. But at the same time, it's the zenith, the highest accomplishment that has ever taken place by man or by God took place on Calvary. For when Jesus died and rose again that third day, he topped off the greatest thing that's ever happened. You and I have something to crow about, amen? We've got something to tell people about. We have a story. Let me tell you, the thing is this. It is so unique and so wonderful that there is eternal consequences if you don't accept it. Like I said, I can't see anybody's heart. I don't know anybody's situation in your life. But if you've never trusted Christ, you can live in this church house. You can sleep on this altar, and we can bury you under that pulpit. And without Jesus Christ, you'll split hell wide open. 